All right, take your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4. If I were to sit here and tell you about how uh, God has worked in my own life, I would have the benefit of showing you pictures, like on the top left, Unity Project of Springfield. Uh, This is where crossing racial boundaries, we've been able to partner with other churches here in Springfield. Great time. Janet and I have had these folks in our home, and it's been a great encouragement, deep relationships. Love these folks. Bottom left, these are some of the students at Weaver that we partnered with. You might remember over Christmas, and this church raised, I believe it was over $14,000, and bought winter clothes for every child in that school. A coat, socks, gloves, what am I, a hat. They were just thrilled with that. You look at the top right, and this is from some of the people that I went to Guatemala with. This is not the care point that, that we're going to be taking, but another one that was ministering near the dump in Guatemala City. A whole culture of people that make their livelihood by going through the trash and reselling it. And this this church here is ministering to that community. Again, just like I said with Rosita, basically with nothing but just a heart for these folks. Wonderful to hear their story and a lovely team. And in fact, Nate and I tonight will be having dinner with one of those folks in that picture who's uh, coming through town. So uh, just love these uh, these folks and the relationships that I've been able to gain. Bottom right. These are guys I went to college with. This is the um, male choir that I was in. Relationships that I still have to this day impacted me greatly being there, being at that school. Pictures. We can reminisce. We can talk about how God used different people in our lives. But that's something they couldn't do 2,000 years ago. I mean, how is it that somebody could reference how a group of people or individuals had impact upon them. Well, they didn't have a camera, but what they did have was a form of paper and pen. And folks could write letters to greet other people or convey their thoughts about what their relationships meant. And this is essentially what we've had happen at the end of Colossians, which in verses 7 through 18 with this passage Most people would read through that and just say, well, that's kind of a useless passage. You skip over it, wouldn't even read it, and think there's really not much there for me, and that would be a mistake. Paul is using this as an opportunity to recognize people that that are intersecting with this letter and the, the, the church at Colossae, and he's using it as an opportunity to share his heart, to encourage, and to admonish And he's put together quite a team of people to minister. And that's what we're going to talk about is a ministry A team today. So let's stand and look at this passage, Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, 
who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that he may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, Father, this is a passage that at first glance seems irrelevant. And yet, you've given it to us. And so, by faith, we acknowledge that it's not irrelevant. You have it here for a reason. And I pray that we can call out some principles here that would help us to know how to put together, how to sustain a ministry team that is excellent, that endures. Work in each of our hearts. May we not just walk out of here thinking, you know, good truth, but may we walk out of here transformed, changing our mind about something, changing our behavior about something. This can only take place if your Holy Spirit is actively involved in our lives. So we welcome your Spirit to work. We cause our minds and hearts to be open. We we humbly approach this time of worship, asking you to move in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In his play, The Cocktail Party, by T.S. Eliot, he wrote this. Half the harm that is done in this world is due to people who want to feel important. They don't mean to do harm, but the harm does not interest them, or they do not see it, or they justify it because they are absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of themselves. Whoa. Perhaps... That might be part of the problem when a community of faith is in trouble. The endless struggle to think well of ourselves at any cost, the absorbing quest for personal significance. I would suggest that Paul's final words to the Colossians are in antithesis to T.S. Eliot's words. Paul and his comrades seem to have settled once and for all why they are here on the earth. At least these guys, this team of men and women, don't seem to be struggling with significance. They seem to get it. I mean, when we read this list of names, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Nympha, and Archippus, I mean, it's not readily apparent that these are heroes of the faith, and really, except for Luke 
And Mark, our tribe wouldn't recognize these names hardly at all. And yet, Paul sees fit to name those who are, we might say, behind the scenes, who are in the band, uh, uh, support staff, you might say, the supporting cast. And whether your part is on the stage or, or on the, the backup crew, there is no team that does well without each team member doing their part and knowing that they are in a significant work. These are not people shouting from the mountaintops that they want to be recognized. It's not what's taking place. They realize that the spotlight is on a suffering Savior. And they really are a personification of what we read in 1 Corinthians 12. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. Repeat it, that I am indispensable. I am indispensable. That's what God says about all of us. Indispensable on the team. You may not feel it. It doesn't change the fact. Indispensable because of the work because of what God is doing through us. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. I want us to consider how the Apostle Paul recognized his ministry A-team. And in so doing, see if we can't recognize how we can build, how we can sustain, how we can be a part of doing kingdom work and being a good team. Tychicus will tell you, all about my activities. He's a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. Notice that Paul expresses great affection for Tychicus and calls him his beloved brother. Paul did not shy away from expressing affection for his brothers in ministry. Never assume that others don't need to hear it. Never assume that you are ineffectual in expressing a kind word to others. And I would say to men, it need not be weird, and it shouldn't be unusual that we express affection to others. A few weeks ago, I don't know if I share this with you or not, but our elders pray every Sunday morning. And this one morning, we were kind of done, and the rest of them had left. And there was one elder that, that, that uh, was still there, sitting across the room. And he came, and he sat next to me, and then put his arm around me and began to pray. And I got to admit, initially, I was like, oh, okay, it's a little weird. Um, uh, coming, sitting close, getting in your space. But, you know, after that initial, you know, 10 seconds or so, and as he began to pray, I mean, it just absolutely melted my heart as I realized just the, the power of the physical touch and the power of those words in expressing value and, and praying for somebody. You cannot overestimate that. Paul then calls him a fellow minister. It means Tychicus was doing his job. He was working hard in the ministry. He was trustworthy. He was not making excuses for not following through. He did follow through or Paul wouldn't have said, you know, you're faithful in this ministry. I mean, when, 
When we serve the Lord, we ought to do it in a way in which we follow through. We finish the task. We are intentional on being excellent. But there are some, are there not? There are some who, you know, just don't find the time. They look for an excuse to always opt out. That wasn't Tychicus. Faithful. Faithful minister. He was faithful. He's also called a fellow servant in the Lord. And Paul uses a form of doulos, which which meant literally a slave. A slave. I'm a slave for Jesus. (laughs) Uh, that's That's terminology we don't often use. The connotations are too negative. But listen, this was something that that he willingly submitted to. And what it means is that, that my will is subservient to him, that Christ is my master. And in that sense, I'm really taking the place of a slave. And whatever the master wants, that's what I'm going to do. He was not forced into this. He willingly submitted to Christ as his king, Christ as his Lord. Why? That's what a disciple does. That's what a disciple does, willingly submits. You know, many people go through life never submitting to anyone. And they take great pride in that. They do what they want, when they want, for whatever pleasure that comes upon them. And that lifestyle, my friends, without any thought of of the cost or the consequence, That is the life of a fool. It is foolish. Instead, listen to what the word says about the kind of relationship we're to have with Christ and the and the authority of Christ. This I think you can you can get the the spirit of this. First Corinthians 8, for yet for us, there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And then in Romans it says, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I don't even own myself. I don't even own my body, it's God's. We are the Lord's for his purpose, for his use. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And Galatians says this, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I willingly get jazzed by seeing others succeed. Not that I get the credit, but I, to see others, to see the team do well, to see the, the community of faith be healthy, that excites me more than what I could get personally. That's the kind of spirit there in Galatians 5. In Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't do both. When Christ is our Lord, our will is given over to his will. He rules our relationships. He rules our money. He rules our job. He rules our sex life. Every aspect of our life 
is under him. He rules it. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. Tychicus served as a doulas, as a slave. And in this particular mission, he was to tell the church of Colossae how Paul was doing, and that was to encourage them. The, the literal meaning is to cheer them up. Paul did not want them to be anxious about himself, even though he was in prison. He was doing okay. Paul's not trying to milk their worry. He was not trying to be overly dramatic. He just wanted them not to worry and be glad in his welfare. Well, here's what we could say. Every A-team needs faithful encouragers, right? Every A-team needs faithful encouragers. Next. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Well, Some of you might remember Onesimus was a runaway slave who ran into Paul after his escape. Paul was instrumental in him coming to Christ and encouraged him to go back to his master and to make amends. His master was Philemon, who was also a believer. And Paul was encouraging Philemon to to show some grace to Onesimus. Now, runaway slaves, they received some pretty harsh treatment within Roman culture. And apparently Onesimus had had some ties to the city of Colossae, and Paul even says that basically that um, uh, who is one of you, not only is he one of you as a citizen apparently, but now as a believer. So he returns to Colossae as a believer. And Antichicus brings with him Onesimus into the congregation. And with his presence and Paul's letter to this congregation, they know that they are to greet Onesimus as one of their own. I love that picture. I love that picture. There are many people that the Christian church has not learned to greet well, right? Right? Uh, whatever their background, whatever their, quote, sin. There, there, there have been some bad habits, bad prejudice attitudes within the church. And many people feel as, as an outcast. I remember one counselor telling me that uh, people don't need help in feeling shame and guilt. They do that very well on their own. We don't need to add to it. But I I love this picture of Onesimus entering with Tychicus and the letter and the church just greeting him, loving on him. I love what took place here several years ago when we had one of the leading Coke dealers in, and this is not Coca-Cola, Coke dealers in Springfield who visited our church and was not like most of us, was a different color, and you loved on him, and he eventually came to Christ, and so did his wife. Why? Because of the way you greeted, because of the grace. It's a powerful thing when a church gets that. But unfortunately, we have things in our head that still make it difficult 
because of the way we view certain people. They're not of the same political stripe. They're doing certain sins that, you know, we don't, we just, eh, you know, don't want to touch. And that's unfortunate. The A-team is generous in grace. You know why? Because they realize that they too could be judged by God. If God were fair, every one of us would be toast. Right? Not a one of us are deserving of God's grace. If God were fair, every one of us, but God's not fair. He really isn't because he extends grace to us. He gives us things we don't deserve in terms of his love and relationship to us. And so we have to turn around and be very generous in our grace toward others. We don't take a survey at the door to find out whether somebody is acceptable or not, right? So the A-team is made up of people who acknowledge that they need forgiveness and they then dole it out in great measure. That's part of the A-team. That's what Onesimus was experiencing. That's what Paul was wanting that body of believers to be like. And then we read of Aristarchus. He says, my fellow prisoner greets you. This man was a native of Thessalonica, was a traveling companion of Paul on his third missionary journey, probably became a Christian in Thessalonica, and apparently a a good reputation followed him when the uh, church in Jerusalem was in great need. They gathered up money, and it was Aristarchus who collected it and delivered the money. He was trustworthy. And we could say an A-team always needs people who are trustworthy in handling the money. We're thankful that God has brought those kind of people here to CCC. But that's not why Paul mentions him. Uh, because Aristarchus remained with Paul on the road to, to Rome, uh, the journey to Rome, and now he's called a fellow prisoner. And it's almost like a badge of honor. He is jailed with Paul. He was willing to stand for the gospel to the point of being jailed. And in so doing, I can't think, but it, it encouraged Paul to, to see somebody that he ministered with that was willing to be faithful to that end. I mean, the A-team needs people who are willing to share in hardship. You don't serve on the A-team when you're a quitter, do you? You can't. Or when conflict comes, it just doesn't work out in your favor and you take a hike. I mean, to be a, a fellow prisoner means you're not fading the heat. You took the medicine. You face the consequences. You're gladly suffering for the gospel. I mean, I look across this congregation, and I see people who have endured through hardship. It would have been easier to give up. I mean, when the spouse leaves, it would be, it would be the most natural thing to curse God. It would be the most natural thing not to stay in the game, but to go and, and, and basically sulk, to just sit there and think about the wounds not be a part of community, that would be the easy thing. But to continue in relationship with Christ, to continue in serving even though your heart has been hurt, that is the sign of maturity, the sign of endurance that God is doing something special in and through a person. I mean, many people in the midst of difficulty immediately seek to escape 
from hard situations. And some try to even market their escape as standing on principle while they leave people in their wake. See, endurance to see a situation through or until a task is done, that takes, that takes some strength, does it not? It takes Christ in us. I mean, endurance in a, in a faith community demands humility, not insisting on our agenda or forcing our way, but there is a, there is a mutuality of, of value. There's a humility where we're looking for the, the good of the community. I received a call this week from a, a pastor friend from out of state who's caught in some crossfire of basically competing agendas and it's not pretty. He's probably going to lose his job over it. What do you do? Do you continue to love? Do you continue to forgive in times like this? It's a test of endurance. See, endurance for the gospel means you stay at the task, if at all possible. And sometimes it's not, I suppose, but if at all possible. Now, fortunately for us, at least in this country, we don't have the kind of opposition that Paul faced yet. (laughs) Who knows what tomorrow may bring. But because of your faith, you're going to be put in jail. It takes great endurance to suffer for the gospel when maybe I could just, you know, deny Christ and fade the heat. That was not what Aristarchus did. I mean, how much can an adult endure anyway? Well, if you're ever stranded in a wilderness or caught in a burning building or you find maybe your scuba tank has run out of air, remember here are some survival rules from National Geographic. It says this, that humans can survive for just 10 minutes at 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Children can survive just only a few minutes at 120 degrees Humans can uh, endure barely 30 minutes of exposure in 40-degree water. We can survive seven days without water, 45 days without food. But lastly, this is interesting, we can survive for just two or three minutes without air, but with training, some can hold their breath for 11 minutes. Whoa, 11 minutes with training. That means that what I face now might be training me for What happens later? Now, God may not be asking you to go into prison tomorrow, but he is asking you to endure now, to be faithful now with whatever is in your path. How much can we endure when mistreated? How long can I endure when maybe I don't have the comforts of home or the conveniences that, that we enjoy? How long can I endure if others oppose me for my commitment to scripture or, or allegiance to the gospel. Aristarchus was in prison and still greeting the saints. We could say it this way, his training was paying off. He was still in the game. And Paul mentions him as a fellow prisoner. So kind of like holding your breath, we may not be doing it for 11 minutes now, we can, we can be obedient now. We can still be faithful now. And then it trains us for later. 
we continue to love well, serve often, and when the time comes to really suffer, we'll be ready to answer the call. A team members have to know how to suffer well. Let's pray.